Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Isaiah said that for himself, Isaiah 50 verse 5, neither turned away back. Now, not everyone in Scripture was obedient to the heavenly calling. Who in in Scripture was disobedient to the heavenly calling? In other words, said no. Who? Can you think of? Oh, that's the classic one. <laughs> Jonah. Jonah, he's a classic. Good old Jonah. Boy, I tell you. We're, you know, it's so funny about Jonah because it says in the book of Jonah, God says, rise up and go to Nineveh. And then it says, Jonah rose up and ran away. <laughs> so he did not rise up. He rose up. He went the wrong direction. Now, it's interesting in Jonah, because in Jonah, what it says that God says, rise up, go to Nineveh. Then it says, Jonah, it says he rose up and he turned away from, not Nineveh, it says he turned away from the presence of the Lord. So the implication there is that, Jonah, you want to find me? I'm in Nineveh. You got to come to Nineveh. That's where I am. I am where I am doing the work that interests me, which is not willing that any should perish, all should come to repentance, including Nineveh, which is having all men to be saved in Nineveh. Jonah, when you run away, you're not just running away from Nineveh, you're running away from me. And he ran from the presence of the Lord. Okay, Jonah, perfect. What else? Who else? Who in Scripture was disobedient to the heavenly calling? God called him? He said no. Say <laughs> Definitely Adam. Yeah, you know, Adam, you know, he says, you know, Adam, I'm calling you not to touch this tree, and he touched the tree. Okay. Mark. Who? John Mark. In what case? When he went with Paul and Silas, Okay, okay, very good. Those are good. I was thinking of another one. I was thinking of the man who was the meekest man in all the earth. Moses. Moses. It was Moses. Moses. He was disobedient to the heavenly calling. Remember that? You know, it said that in, a, in, 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 in Moses chapter 4. <laughs> Exodus chapter 4. <laughs> it should be Moses. But anyway, he had five books, so he didn't have five names, so, and that's why they have different. Anyway, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, and he's, is what he's arguing with God. O Lord, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send, only not me. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron thy brother? The Levite, thy brother, I know he can speak well. <laughs> and also, behold, he comes forth to meet thee. Okay. Now, Moses told God that he couldn't speak well. And, and Moses took the position of, here am I, Lord, send someone else. 
you know. Yeah, here am I, Lord, send Aaron. And, and that made God angry. And, 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 and no one talked to God face-to-face, friend-to-friend like Moses. No one did. But Moses had a bad habit of making God mad. Remember? And that's the first rule in life. Don't make God mad. And Moses violated that. And on the first meeting that he had with God, Moses made God mad. He made him angry. And, and he made him angry uh, because he, he, he was saying, you know, I don't, no, I can't speak well. Maybe you misunderstood and overlooked that, that part about me. And Moses made God angry over what else? When else did God, Moses make God mad? Mm, classic one. Struck the rock. Huge consequence. His life work was to go see the land that he was bringing the people out. He couldn't because he made God mad by striking the rock. And another one about his son involved his wife. Yeah, that thing, yes, that thing, that's called circumcision. (laughs) That thing, yeah. He didn't do that. And God was mad at Moses, and it says God was going to kill Moses. Very surprising verse. Okay, who, who, who else used the same excuse as Moses as not being able to speak? So I, I, I'm not going to obey the vision. I'm not going to obey the calling. Who else? Say Okay, it was Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. You know, maybe you think when you get to the biggies, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're perfect. Well, not Jeremiah. You know, see, it says about Jeremiah in Jeremiah, his first chapter, Jeremiah 1.4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. <laughs> he said that, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, that was amazing. When Jeremiah told God in in Jeremiah 1.6, Then said I, O Lord God, Behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. You know, Jeremiah said, behold, <laughs> that's funny, behold, like, did, you know, by using the word behold, it was like Jeremiah was saying to God, oh, Lord God, didn't you miss something? <laughs> Don't you need to look over here? Uh, didn't you overlook the fact that I'm not a good speaker? Didn't you not overlook the fact that you need a good speaker to be your spokesman? I'm just a child. And God didn't really appreciate that about that Jeremiah was pointing out to him that Jeremiah spoke like a child. And that made God mad. And God said to Jeremiah, but the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child. Thou shalt go to all thy send thee. See, Jeremiah, he was uh, not really obedient to the heavenly vision. And he was kind of mad about it. And in Jeremiah, middle of the book here, Jeremiah 20, verse 7, Jeremiah had said, I've had enough. And he says, oh, Lord, thou hast deceived me. And so he's accusing God of deceiving him. And I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. 
I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and derision daily. Then said I, I will not speak. No, he said, I will not make mention. Then said I, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing. And I could not stay. So Jeremiah, he's talking about two parts of his body that really suffered as a fact of him saying, not obeying God. I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm not going to preach anymore. His heart and his bones. He said it felt like his word left his heart. It felt like fire in his bones, shut up in his bones. Okay. Now, who in Scripture was outwardly obedient to God's call but inwardly was angry and bitter about it and, and, and said he only obeyed God because God's hand was strong upon him. That's the only reason. It is right. It's Ezekiel. It's the other one of the big three. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 7. Now this is very important because God had already told Ezekiel, I have a tough job for you. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, you're going to be a failure, but you'll be a success in my eyes. All right, and if I sent you some people that had a foreign language, you'd be a star. You'd be a success. You could fill a stadium with thousands of people. But I'm sending you to your own people in the Hebrew language, so you'll be a failure. But get over it. That's the job. All right, but then Ezekiel said, in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 7, And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they forbear, for they are most rebellious. So God was telling them. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee, be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And so then Ezekiel says in chapter 3, verse 14, Ezekiel three fourteen. so the Spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. I wasn't happy about it. All right, now, here we come to verse 19. Now we would hope that now that Jacob has decided to obey God's call to return to Canaan, that there would be just no trouble for Jacob. That's what we're hoping. But Jacob knew that he was going to have trouble with Laban. He was expecting that. And that was why he left when Laban was off shearing his sheep. Like it says in verse 19, then Laban went to shear his sheep. But he didn't expect, that's an external problem. That's outside the family, so to speak. That's an external problem with Laban. But he just didn't expect the second part of verse 19. You know, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. He had no idea that he had this internal problem of his wife stealing idols. And that's a picture of the troubles that we face when we decide to walk with God. We can expect the Labans from the outside to give us trouble. As Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But We'll have internal problems too, as it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. For when we, came, when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. So Jacob had trouble from within his own wife taking idols into his own home. And Jacob didn't know that Rachel had taken those idols. Now we can question, what was she thinking what was Rachel thinking? What was in her mind? Why did Rachel take those idols? 
Well, maybe there was some precious metal on him. I don't know. Maybe there was gold. Maybe there was some precious stones. Maybe it was valuable. But, you know, Rachel, she really didn't need that because Jacob had gotten a lot of valuable cattle, and she with her sister had already announced to Jacob that they were hers and her children's. But it just seems like when you look at Rachel and you ask this question, what was she thinking? Why did she do that? Why did she take those idols? The only conclusion you can come to is that she had some kind of a lingering attachment, a lingering attachment to what had been part of her family tradition, her family superstitions. And it seems as though Rachel found a type of safety value in those idols. I mean, after all, she was going to go into the unknown, and maybe she kind of felt like, well, you know, these idols can protect me. They can help me, you know, the safety. You know, there was an interesting procedure for when an Israelite man came into to, and conquered a city and saw a just, you know, knock your socks off gorgeous gal. When he saw, when he saw some drop-dead gorgeous woman from not an Israelite, obviously. And, and so God said, okay, I know this is going to happen. So I'll give you the procedure for how she can become your wife. And he lays out this procedure in these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 10 through 13. And God says, when thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, their enemies, and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her, that thou wouldst have her to be thy wife. Okay, here's what he says. Then shalt thou bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head, and pare her nails, and she shall put on the raiment of her, she shall put off the raiment of her captivity from off her, take it off, okay, and shall remain in thine house, and bewail her father and her mother a full month, like mourn for them like they died. But they probably did die, as a matter of fact. And after that, you shall go in unto her and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. See, first, she had to shave her head, cut her nails, and mourn for her father and her mother. And as a matter of fact, everything that she was doing was shaving the head and cutting the nails and mourning for her mother and father. It was done with the idea, I will never see them again. I will never go back to them. It's all designed to have her break with her past life and start a new life. Nothing from her past life was to be carried into her new life. Old hair, old nails, old clothing, that's gone. Her mother and father, that's finished. She didn't mourn for them. Carry none of that into your new life. Just like what it says in Psalm 45.10. Psalm 45.10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king desire, greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord. Worship thou him. See, the principle was that nothing from the old life should be carried into the new life. And those idols were a part of Rachel's old life. They were a part of Rachel's old home. And Rachel was going to never return to her old home, but she was carrying those idols from her old home into her new home, into her new life, because she had this lingering attachment. And that was Lot's wife's. That was a problem with Lot's wife. Lot's wife, she had a lingering attachment to Sodom. And it says in Genesis 19, 26, but his wife looked back from behind him, she became a pillar of salt. So 
this account of Rachel having this lingering attachment for the idols of her old life and for her bringing those idols into her new life is not just written for us to read about and enjoy the story. This is recorded for us to ask the question, what do we have as a lingering attachment that's from our old life? What have we secretly, secretly carried into our new life from our old life? Put it this way. You want to put your finger on it. What do we, when, what do we kind of, when we go over everything and, and we come to something and we say, well, what's, there's no harm in that. You got one. What movies have we watched in the last month that have no place in our new life? What movies are there that are really a part of our past life and should be not be brought into our new life? What TV programs have we watched in the last month that have no place in our new life? What TV programs are there that we have this lingering attachment to that we brought into our new life? Rachel had a new future and a new life, but she ruined it with a lingering attachment for things in her past life. She ruined her future by bringing these idols from her past life into her new life. Now, we see in verse 20 here. We read that in verse 20. We're speaking now about Laban. And it says he fled with all he had, and he rose. And in verse 20, Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian. So here's a name for Laban. He's not called, you know, Jacob's uncle, you know, his, Jacob's mother's brother. He's now Laban the Syrian. Why? Because now Laban is going to come out as a devoted idolater. And that is going to transcend any family relationship with Jacob and Laban. See, Jacob is a follower of Jehovah Jesus, and Laban is a Syrian idolater. And that's going to be what defines the difference between Jacob and Laban. And that's the way it is in our families. For our family members who have not believed into the Lord Jesus Christ, when we mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if there's no relationship. It is as if there's no relationship because we are defined by an important phrase in the Bible that defines us, and that is the phrase, in Christ Jesus, or in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's part of the old life. All things are become new. There's a new life. See, Romans 8.1, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but walked after the Spirit. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Now, in verse 22, we see how Laban, he's told on the third day that Jacob has made his getaway. And we see Laban, he's in hot pursuit. Oh, he's going after him. And it says in verse 23, and he took his brethren with him. He pursued after him seven days journey. He overtook him in the Mount Gilead. So Laban now has gathered up his family and started to chase Jacob down. Who else in the scripture, when he found out that Jacob's descendants fled, also rose up 
and took everyone with him to chase him down? This is an easy question. Pharaoh. There you go. Pharaoh. So what is happening here is a strong parallel with what's going to happen with the descendants of Jacob in Egypt. I mean, this is almost prophetic. I mean, Laban has traveled four, about 400 miles by foot to overtake Jacob at Mount Gilead, which is not so far from the River Jordan. And it, now it says, the night before Laban encounters Jacob, we read in verse 24, and God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. See, these first words in verse 24 are really important, where it says, and God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night. God came to Laban the Syrian. God came to Laban the Syrian. You know, Laban's gods never came to Jacob, but Jacob's God comes to Laban the Syrian. And labeling Laban as not just Laban, but Laban the Syrian is making a point. Because God is coming to warn a person who is not a follower of him. Now, where else in Genesis did we find God coming to warn a person who was not a follower of God? Where else in Genesis did, did we find God coming to warn a person who was not a follower of God? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Abimelech. Yeah. In, in Genesis 20, verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, same phraseology, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. That's a bad day, by the way, <laughs> when God says to you, you're a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And he just thought he was taking a pretty woman, but then, you know, God says, you're dead. This is very encouraging for us, because it shows us that God is not limited to just speaking to only his own people. God can warn, and he does warn, those who are not his followers. And we can imagine that when, when God moved in between the argument, it was really an argument between Laban and Jacob, that Laban might have said to God, look, God, this is a private matter. This is between, you know, Laban and, this is between me and Jacob. Laban could have said that. You know, so, Bob. But God would have replied and says, hey, when it comes to my child, Jacob, there are no private matters. There are no private matters that I, God, stay out of. So what God did when he came to Laban, the Syrian in a dream by night, is described in Job. Job chapter 33, verse 15. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men and slumberings upon his bed, then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction. See, that's what God was doing here. He's giving instruction. It's amazing to consider that all this instruction, which is really a warning, which is really a sheltering of Jacob, which is really a protecting of Jacob by God warning Laban in a dream, this was all happening. Jacob has no idea. He's clueless. He doesn't know this is happening. Jacob did not know anything about how God was actively protecting him by warning Laban in a dream by night. You know, there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know of how God is sheltering us, of how God is protecting us in life. If Jacob could only have seen God protecting him through this warning in a dream, Jacob would rise up and say, oh, I really love God. He would love God so much more. If we could only see how God is protecting us, we would love him so much more.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.